You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. feels like winter. All of a sudden, it just snapped, and here we go. Um, well, uh, if you um, are like me, you, uh, if I believed as much as you can and really thoroughly uh, accepted and wanted Jesus in my heart when I was four years old. Now, I have uh, a seven, almost seven-year-old, almost five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and I can tell you, like, four-year-olds, I don't quite know how much they know. Um, but I, I, at the level of what I knew, I knew that I loved Jesus. I knew I wanted that. Um, and when I became this Christian, I think there's this moment for me in my story, I don't go into it today, but I, there are moments where I don't feel like I was following God at all. I don't feel like I was a disciple of Jesus. Um, later into college was actually when I really felt like it was my own faith. I'm going to take this. I'm going to go. And that's another story for another time. Um, but what I realized, not at four, but later on, that so the Christian thing for each person, you're made new. You're made into this new creation, right? New heart, new mind, new eyes, this new creation that Jesus makes you into. And so it's unique to you. It's very specific to how God made you. But there's also a cool thing where now you are included in a very long line of people who have done the same thing, who have professed Christ who said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I want to step off the throne. You take the throne. I want, to, I want to see you keep my eyes and focus on you. There's a long line of people who have done that. So we can learn. We can look back and look at history and learn from a lot of that kind of thing. Um, but if you're not like me, or even if you are, there's also another truth where all of us, even longer than following Jesus, we are all in an even longer line of being human, correct? Okay, just want to make sure you're awake. We're all in a longer line of being human. Now, this world of being human is not perfect, right? It is not perfect. And humans have had to, at some level, suffer this world since the beginning of time. That's just what it is. It's a broken people in a broken world. There's going, we are going to suffer in it at some level. Okay? There's always been some level of suffering. But it's rare when a philosophy of life actually focuses and actively seeks out suffering. Okay? It's very rare. It's very rare. And here's why, why I want to argue two things of why this is rare. First, because we have this innate quality as humans to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Okay, it's just part of our DNA, who we are as humankind. Second, I think because suffering is the worst thing we can think of. Okay, this is a great sermon already, right? Like, let's talk about suffering. It's a beautiful day, let's ruin it, okay? Suffering is like the worst thing we could think of, right? Death, death is on the top list of like everybody's fear, right? Dying, of course, is not a good thought. But when faced, when we see this with like fantasy literature or movies or stuff like that all the time, we see if you are faced with either suffering for eternity and there's no relief or death and then there's relief from that suffering, which do you choose? And we see that all the time where people are like, well, I'd rather get it over with, right? So even in that regard, death is better than suffering. So suffering is like the worst thing we could think of. But biblically... There is something that is argued that's even worse than suffering in the flesh. 
And that is suffering of your soul. Suffering at a soul level that carries on beyond earth, beyond the flesh. And this, the suffering of the soul, is what this little word called sin. That's what it is, right? The breaking of divine law is this sin. And the biblical authors, are, and especially Peter, are trying to bring out that, guys, like, there is suffering, and that's a big deal, and it's hard, and it's in the flesh, but there's your soul. And your soul is the very essence of who you are that will be carried on into eternity. And sin affects the soul. Sin is suffering of the soul. Let's look at the cross real briefly. Okay, we're in 1 Peter, but we're going to look at the cross real briefly. When Jesus was on the cross, which came first? Suffering or the sin? Okay, Jesus physically, emotionally, and mentally suffered before he was made sin. Okay, on the cross. But when he was made sin, when he took our sins on the cross, that was the worst part. That is when Jesus utters, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most of us would have cried out the moment we were thrown in jail, right? God, why have you forsaken me? Or the moment somebody like grabbed our arm too hard, like, why, God, have you abandoned me, you know? He didn't say this because a God allowed the punishment of the cross to happen to him. Jesus bore our sins, so he bore our judgment. And that was the judgment to be completely abandoned by God. Now you might say, well, Matt, scriptures say I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yes, and that is true only because of what Jesus has done for our souls. It's because of Jesus that we have the opportunity to never be abandoned from God now onto eternity. So it's sin, not suffering, that is the ultimate worst. That is my intro. Welcome to Hub City. <laughs> it's a happy day, right? This is the gospel, guys. We've got to get this, right? And so everything Jesus does is reverse. Like you say that in any other context, it's like, what are you talking about? But Jesus has these reverse ways of teaching us. So we're going to get into the passage today um, where we just look at this. But remember that in Peter's day, as he's writing to these Christians, these first century Christians, these people that are like, ah, oh, we see Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but now what? Now what do we do? And Peter is going to commentate on what this looks like. In their world, in this Greco-Roman world, the philosophies were very pervasive, right? And here were some core tenets. We looked at this last week that were in these world philosophies that they will always needed to have undisturbedness or to be undisturbed, to be self-sufficient, and to be free from suffering. This is what it meant to be happy. This is what it, how, what it takes for humans to flourish, to have that, right? Again, that's just another way to say, like, avoid pain and seek pleasure. But now, since Christ and his revelation that it's actually sin, not suffering, that is to be destroyed, our, in our lives, Peter continues his encouragement that he's been building in this letter, now getting super practical in 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's dive into it. 1 Peter 4, 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Christ suffered in the flesh. Okay, our Savior had flesh. He was human. He suffered. Okay? We're humans. We believe in Jesus as the Christ. We follow in his footsteps. Of course, suffering comes with that, right? It's just arm yourself with the same way of thinking. 
It's kind of one of those things that you can't say, I love Jesus, and then avoid all the suffering. There's going to be something that comes with that. To suffer, as Merriam-Webster, just our English dictionary puts it, is to experience or be subjected to something bad or unpleasant. Okay? Now, there's a, a concordance called the Strong's Concordance, if you've ever looked at this. It's kind of like a dictionary for Bible words. And it defines it this way, the feeling of the mind, emotion, and passion, which is interesting. The feeling of the mind, emotion, and passion. Of course, suffering is a thing of our world. We can't escape it. So we either suffer for doing good or we suffer for doing evil. Let's use Christ as the example. Christ suffered for good. First Peter in chapter th- or Peter in First Peter chapter three told us this in 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Look at this. His suffering in the flesh provided a spiritual result. Is that fascinating? Right, death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. Sin is what brings death to the spirit, so that's the most important thing to protect and to save. Keep this in mind. Let's go on further in verse 1 of chapter 4. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, that, that phrasing, ceased from sin, becomes perfect. You suffer in the flesh, you become perfect, you have no sin. Let's let Paul in Romans 6, he kind of defines it this way. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Set free from sin. Cease to sin. Does it mean you're, ever, you're never going to sin again? No, right? We live in a broken world. We're a broken people. Of course, sin is doing its work. But are we set free from having the eternal hold, sin having this eternal hold on us? Absolutely. Those chains have been broken. You have been set free. There is no longer now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as long as we're on this earth, verse 2, so as, as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, now that you have no more chains, but for the will of God. Right? This just described this war, this tension that we live in deciding which God do we want to place ourselves under. Do you want to live under the tyranny of the God of self and the flesh and what you want and I want it now, right? And the urgent and whatever your flesh craves or the good and perfect will of Yahweh. Human passions versus the will of God. Now look at this. It's interesting word choice. The root for our English word passion, do you know what it is? To suffer. Isn't that fascinating? So let me put it this way. Do you want to suffer for the things humans suffer for? Or Peter gives a, 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 he gives a decently list of these in verse 3. Look at this. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry, right? These are, these are just basic things, right? This isn't a list of just like despicable acts that Christians are supposed to be like, oh, gross, you know? Like these are just basic human ideals without any high authority or better way. See, hear, taste, do whatever feels good. Drink till you're not responsible for your actions anymore. The thrill of non-commitment, no consequences in, in terms of sex and partying, and of course, giving yourself to whatever meets your needs in that moment. 
Here's the problem. As humans, as fickle, broken humans, we don't know what we want or need. So we're at the mercy of being convinced of what we want or what we need by something. And then you become a slave to that thing, right? Listen, we all know the internet listens to us, right? We all know that. If you didn't know that, it listens to you, okay? The internet listens to us. So my wife and I, we're talking, we've been talking a lot about hot tubs. I love hot, any hot tub lovers in here? Okay. All right, cool, cool. All right, I know. I know. You all are. Let's be honest, right? So we were talking about hot tubs. We weren't recording anything. I didn't post anything about hot tubs or anything like that. We were just talking about it, okay? So guess what my suggested searches were for the next week on Amazon and Google? Like, that's right, a back massager. Because I talked about that a lot more on my own than with her. But the point is, the internet now knows what you want before you even do, right? They know it. They're suggesting it based on your likes and dislikes. They're going to suggest it and point you to that. I'm thinking about running shoes. Oh, I said it out loud. There's some running shoes. They're for a good price. I should probably get those. It's a sign from God, right? (laughs) So you guys have been there too, right? Okay, cool. Now let me ask you a question. What is the product in that scenario, right? Is it what I want to buy? Or let me rephrase the question. Who is the product in that scenario, right? Right, where I'm the product. I am the one being told what to buy, how much to spend, and how fast do I want it to show up on my doorstep. I am the product of the culture that is around me, that has shaped me to want what my culture wants me to want. Right, back to our passage, right? Humans are the product of the world. We don't, out of some autonomous ability to control everything, and we choose to have a good time and make ourselves feel good, the world tells us how to feel good. The world tells us what to do in order to achieve the result that we want. And we, we buy it, right? Now, I'm not down on anything. I use Amazon. I love all that kind of stuff, right? Shop local, though, please. Um, I'm not down on anything, but it's just right back to a few chapters ago, right? When we were talking about submitting to these human institutions, it just it can't turn into your worship. That is the hugest difference, right? And what you are suffering for or are passionate for is what you are worshiping. Like what you are suffering for, these human passions, that is your worship. A question to think about. Just think about this in your own life. What lengths would you go to or how much would you suffer to achieve your own version of happiness? What human values have become your point and your pursuit of worship? Right? Do you think the enemy knows this about us? Right? Do you think the enemy knows this about us? Right? I mentioned this last week, but I think it bars another consideration. You can learn so much of the human tendency to be deceived by the, just the first few pages of your Bible, right? You don't need to memorize all of Paul's letters or anything. Literally, the first few pages of your Bible, right? God gave Adam, or Adam, which, by the way, means human, okay? And Eve, which means life, okay? God gave human life everything it needs to succeed and flourish in the garden. Everything. God overwhelmingly and lavishly created a world and gave humans the ability to care and steward it. And yet, what's the deception? Yeah, that's, that's all good, but there's something missing that you really want, right? That elusive something that you don't have that will make everything better, right? God gave you all this, but, Genesis 3.1, but did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? 
And then later, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The best lies are layered in truth, right? Yes, that is what God told you not to do, but not for the reasons that you are convincing me for, right? The enemy is planting this idea that God is holding back, that you are suffering needlessly. God's keeping your best life from you. So you, on your own, can make your best life. Just take it. Blaze your own trail. Right? And so, as you know the story, we do. Like humans, we do this more often than we want to admit. I am reading a book, and I highly recommend it. It's a newer book. Um, one of my favorite authors and teachers, John Mark Comer, uh, wrote this book, Live No Lies. It just came out. And he writes this about this scene. The Genesis 3 lie is a paradigmatic lie behind all lies. The deception, or really temptation, is and has always been twofold. To seize autonomy from God, and two, to redefine good and evil based on the voice in our heads and the inclination of our hearts, rather than trust in the loving word of God. I thought that was really well written. Remember, we've been talking about those who are suffering for themselves, doing whatever they want. Okay, look at what Peter brings out back to first chapter or first Peter four, verse four. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, so that first part, with respect to what? Looking back on what the Gentiles used to do. And this is interesting. Many scholars believe Peter, the way he's writing it, he's actually addressing his readers as this is what you used to do. This was your old life. Remember your old life? Remember what you used to be known for? Yeah, that time is done. But this should be a shock to those who, when you go back and love on the people that knew you then, they should be surprised. They should be confused. Wait, are you not the same person? Right? I was trying to think of good college nicknames of like, are you not? And I couldn't think of them. Anyways, so if you have one, just fill fill in the blank. Are you not this guy? You know? And they won't like it. They'll, they'll feel like they're being judged, right? Oh, now you're better than us, right? You've moved on. You've matured. Have you ever heard this before? But at the end of the day, the gospel, the good news was preached to the living and the dead. There's obviously a lot of theology that can go in there, but at a simple reading, a.k.a. those who listen and obey and those who do not listen and do not obey, because everyone will give an account for how they spent their life. And that's quite simple to Peter. We either spent our life for human passions or the will of God, right? It's back to suffering for good, not suffering for evil. Now, again, remember the, the Noah part that we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can go podcast last week. There's, Peter brought out this Noah, and he preached the spirits in prison, and it kind of gets like deep theology. And anytime you can't just like nail down theology, and it's kind of, there's like 17 different theories. So again, I always like to say, grab a trusted friend, pray about it, and then dive into this stuff. Like it's so good and rich, but if you just do it on your own or you watch one little YouTube, and again, we're, we're shaped by the culture around us. So that those who are dead, right, that, that sparks a lot of theology, that sparks a lot of like, what does that mean? What is, you know? 
So those are dead. Is that the dead who Jesus visited in his three days before his resurrection? Was this another chance for them, like a purgatory thing? Is this like the spirits in prison from last chapter? Are we talking about fallen angels or the dead like non-believers? You can see how all of a sudden there's all these different things. And honestly, I'm happy to say I don't know, (laughs) right? I'm sure we could all like dive into it and figure it out. But I think as it's hotly debated, by people who want to talk about this all the time, I think it's just this, this interesting thing. If you step back and look at the big picture, it again leads us to a similar conclusion regardless of the interpretation, right? The way of Jesus is to consider oneself dead in the flesh, but alive in the Spirit. It's the Spirit that matters, not the flesh, though God gave us this gift of flesh, so it's not to be wasted or ruined, but it's the Spirit that matters. And to come full circle, the victory of Jesus was not for our flesh, but for our spirit, for our souls. Paul says it best in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is the victory of the cross. So now in his letter, he transitions, Peter transitions to a different kind of point, right? If we're cemented in the fact That suffering is not something to be avoided, but actually a normal aspect of following Jesus, who suffered on our behalf, that it's actually sin that is the real enemy, and it was defeated on the cross, so sin no longer has a hold on us while we are still here in the flesh. Okay, he's like, are we cemented in that? Can we agree with that? Our souls can actually be free from suffering, even though our flesh might still suffer then as long as we're here in the flesh, we can live in a certain way. We can live in a reflection of this victory of Christ. And here's how, and he kind of gives a few practical things here. First, the reminder of the time we have left. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Like, what a statement, right? Now let's talk about what this passage is not saying. The end is at hand, so go buy all the oatmeal and beans in the land, okay? The end is at hand, so judge ruthlessly and mercilessly anyone who falls into the above Gentile category, right? The end is at hand, so burn all your bridges because it's heaven or bust, right? The end is at hand, so here's a task list of all the things you need to do to prepare yourself for what's coming. Because this is not a get ready for the end kind of list. It is a we are living in the end. So live out every last breath this way. Verse 7. Guys, this is so big. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So simple, so profound. Self-control, right? How massive is that? If people just literally had more self-control, we'd probably have a bit of a better society, probably, right? But spiritually, to be self-controlled and in a healthy mindset, again, the Strong's Concordance says, for sober-minded, snapped out of the intoxicating influence of sin, which is this darkness. I love that. This is why it is for the sake of your prayers. It's not, we're not self-controlled and sober-minded so we can save the world. We're self-controlled and sober-minded because Jesus was because his focus was not distracted from the communication and mission from the Father. 
right? So we likewise want to remove distractions from the ways of the world, the culture that's trying to shape us, but keep focused on what God has for us. And here now, at the end of all things, being more influenced by God than the world is how you are to live this out. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The idea here is not that love covers or atones for our sins. Only Christ can do that. But there's a proverb, Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Right? In the proverb, the meaning is that love does not stir up or broadcast sins. The major idea is that love suffers in silence and bears all things. Christians forgive faults in others because they know the forgiving grace of God in their own life. It's less of a salvation thing and more of a salve to a wound kind of thing. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality, in short, it's treating strangers as friends or how you would want to be treated or to put it a biblical way, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, one another now, for especially for, first, for Peter's readers at the time, means anyone who follows Christ. And beyond that, because of what following Christ means, anyone who does not believe in Christ. Why would he put without grumbling? Right? Why would he do that? Unless God knew that we would grumble. We would struggle with this, right? Especially in the West. Now think about us today where we, what, we build, what we build is for us, right? We've built everything for us. Our, it's our home, it's our designs, it's our culture, it's my leaf and plant, apparently, in our house, right? And it's tough because someone enters into that with their own opinions and their own design and their own desires. And in our culture, our, our fleshy desires, we often open up our house to be hospitable and inclusive. However, we usually have expectations that it's only as long as it serves us or doesn't inconvenience us at all. Still seeking our happiness, right? We can get caught up with that. It seems like a nice thing. We're still seeking our happiness. For Peter's day, it's not like now where they had inns and Airbnbs and hotels and they can just go and kind of have their own space, right? Christians were now to actually rid themselves of that, to open up their homes, become a respite for those in need without extra guest rooms, without mother-in-law suites, right in the midst of their real lives as a sacrifice. Because they loved God and they are now to love their neighbors without fleeing suffering. Because we've been given gifts of new life on old earth. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Man, so good. Serving one another with the gifts God has supplied and strengthened is serving and loving God. Once again, Peter is he's drawing his readers' attention to the fact that their pursuit in all things are not to be of their own happiness or their own agenda. They're now serving Jesus as Lord, not pursuing their fleshly desires anymore. These gifts God gives us are all meant to be gifts of God's grace. The fact that God would give us his grace and then choose us to administer his grace to others is wild. Right, that is so wild that he would actually do that through us. So when you speak, speak as if it's the words of God. 
When you serve, serve as one fueled with the energy and the non-anxious presence of God himself, right? What an incredible gift. But here it is, guys. We, we can't just do this on our own, right? We can only do this because of how he first has lavished his grace upon us so that we would never be tempted to boast in our own strength, in our own words. But we marinate our lives in God's word, in God's presence, so that that is what is felt and used when we minister to other people. And, God, and Peter knows this, and Peter ends with a fitting doxology where it all ties together, because it's not in our glory, but in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to end, I just want, this is what I've been charging myself with and still am, and I want to charge our community with taking Peter's charges and putting them into questions and asking our community these questions. Just think about these. When faced with suffering, how are you arming yourself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had on earth? Are you living for human passions or the will of God? Are you done with that old life and ready for new life in Christ? Are you practicing self-control and being sober-minded? Are we loving one another? Are we showing hospitality? And are we serving and teaching the way of Jesus? Everything Peter has talked about boils down to this. He is again calling us all to serve Jesus as our Lord and not ourselves. Are we going to spend your life pursuing or suffering for your own human desires, or are you going to spend your life pursuing or suffering for the good king and master who has set you free from sin and death? Peter's entire letter is this argument. So I want to go back to the truth of what our good king did for us as we move towards response. And you know how we do that here. We respond in singing praises to our good king. We respond in prayer with each other and prayer and this communication we have with God the Father. We respond in giving for the common good in our community. Our community can be blessed. And of course, we respond in going to the table for communion, remembering what Christ did for us. And I want Peter's words to be the last thing as we remember this of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21, and then we'll go to the tables and, and worship and sing. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Let me pray.